stay standing um, as we pray together. Uh, during the prayer, we'll have a time um, where we can pray um, together as a congregation um, from our seats. Um, if you choose to pray, just a reminder uh, to try to speak up uh, so that everybody around the sanctuary can hear you. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, hallowed be your name. You are the one true God. You, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So we, the beloved, should not overlook this one fact, that with you, Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. You, Lord, are not slow to fulfill you, your promises, as some count slowness, but you are patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God, you are patient. We pray for Shehalem Valley Presbyterian Church. Help us have patience like you, sacrificial patience that yearns for the good of the other. Help us submit to your patience in our finiteness, not understanding why you allow the atrocities of this world to persist. Remembering that you are the good shepherd. You are patient for the lost sheep, not wishing any to perish. God, you are patient. We pray for your churches. We pray for your churches in Afghanistan. We pray for those that are fleeing from the Taliban. Keep them safe. Give courage and wisdom to your people who stay in Afghanistan. Help them be salt and light in a country whose leaders are hostile to you and your followers. Help them to fear no evil, for you are with them. Your rod and staff comfort them. Prepare a table for them. Anoint their heads with oil and may their cups overflow. Help them feel your presence and help them know with confidence that they will dwell in the house of their Lord forever. God, you are patient. We pray for the people of Louisiana as they prepare for Hurricane Ida. Help those evacuating get away safely and help those staying in the region to find safety. Help the emergency response be quick and effective. Give your protection and strengthen your churches to minister to their communities. God, you are patient. We pray for the teachers within our community as they are beginning a new school year. Renew them as they head into their classrooms. Give them a passion for teaching their students. Help them adjust to whatever changes are in place because of the pandemic. Help them to be patient. God, you are patient. We pray for needs and praises within our lives. We now take this time to pray together with each other and for each other. We pray silently in our hearts and we pray out loud with one another.
Father, we pray for Herb and Judy Bolter as they move back into their home. Um, just help the renovations that were made um, to be helpful to them um, as they get settled back in. In the name of Jesus, who when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth to redeem us, and who we now wait patiently to come again. In his name we pray as he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you. Let's greet one another with the peace of the Lord. Well, we're looking at the dinner party dialogues, um, those times when Jesus was invited to uh, come into someone's house, and as I've been saying, he usually kind of blew the party up, um, because it was often the house of a Pharisee, as it is in this instance. Uh, last week, we looked at Luke 14, 1 to 6, and today we want to look at Luke 14, verses 7 uh, through 11. And this is a parable. A parable is a story drawn from ordinary life with spiritual uh, teaching or implications or lessons uh, regarding our relationship with God. In this case, the parable is fairly thinly veiled because he um, tells the story based on things he's seeing uh, right there uh, in this uh, uh, Pharisee's house. Um, and you just got to be impressed with Jesus as a master storyteller and communicator, a, a humbler of all preachers, I think, and, and Bible teachers. Um, let me remind you before we read that this is, uh, we believe, the Word of God written, the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Um, 
that this is not man's reflections about God. It's not a bottom-up, oh, here's what we think, but it's a top-down God telling us, uh, giving his words to human authors. Let's pray before we read. Father, thank you for the spiritual food that is before us now, and I pray that you would give us hunger for it and openness to it. And I pray, Father, that you would... uh, pour out your spirit that inspired these words to illuminate them to our understanding and and let them be transformative of our lives and our hearts, Uh, Father, and use a sinful, crooked stick uh, to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now he, that is Jesus, told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers will fade away, but not this word. It will abide forever and ever. It is the word of the living God. It's very interesting if you can uh, remember this. Perhaps you're a student, uh, junior high or high school student, and you experience it. Uh, You go to the lunchroom and watch uh, people bring their food or get it at the school, however it's done, and uh, take their seats. And uh, the seats are arranged either on a long table or the schools I went to, it was usually a table that would seat eight. Um, And there are people in junior high and high school that everybody wants to sit with. They're the movers and shakers in junior high or high school. And there are people that are jockeying for position to sit with those movers and shakers. It's much the same when grade schoolers line up, we're going to go to the auditorium. Well, who gets to stand with who, you know? I mean, I want to stand with the popular kid or my friend or whatever. Same in senior high. And actually, adults are like that too. We're just smoother about it, you know? Uh, We just uh, don't show it the way the junior high student would. Well, in this passage, something like that's going on. Uh, the, The ruler, there's a man who is, it says in verse 1, a ruler of the Pharisees. He's a Pharisee mover and shaker. And he, no doubt, has a pretty nice house. And no doubt, people want to sit with him and others that are considered to be movers and shakers among that group. And so they're jockeying for position to sit with this man. Except one of them. One of them is not jockeying for position to sit with this man. Guess who that might be? I think it's Jesus. I think Jesus has been left out. Others are seated by now, and Jesus doesn't have a seat. Where is the Son of God in this picture? Where is the one who just healed a man? From what position does he tell this parable? 
unless I miss my guess, he's been left to take the seat of least honor. It, it's a bit like you, you see these pictures, and maybe you've been in the midst of it, I don't know. There's a, a Black Friday sale uh, at a large department store, and the prices are cut below low, and people are at the door, and the door opens, they rush to the stuff. And they're kind of like that. They're rushing to the best seats. And in a, an amazing story, I think, if we understand it, that Jesus has chosen the seat of least honor. He's humbled himself. He will humble himself even more, even to the point of death, death on a cruel Roman cross. He will choose to be humiliated for helpless sinners. He will allow, though he created the world and every creature in it, he will allow them to strip every bit of clothing off him and nail him naked to a cross. You say, that's not a very pretty picture. No, it's not. But it's the truth. He chooses to be humiliated for helpless sinners, and that is good news for you and me. It reminds us of this sacrament. He gave his body and blood for complete remission of all our sins, but it's even better than that. He defeated death by the resurrection and his ascension, and someday he will return. Well, but back to the banquet. Uh, I want to look at this parable to see what life lessons God might have for you and me, okay? Well, the occasion, if you look up in verse 1, it's a Sabbath day. It's in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Um, he has healed a man with dropsy, a kind of edema. There's got water retention in his limbs. And the issue is where to be seated at the table. And you know, you've been to enough things like this that there are often seating arrangements at tables like this. Uh, you might have a lot of round tables, but up at the front of some big banquet, there's a head table, or a head of the table, if there's only one table. And the Pharisees are choosing the places of honor. The host may have said, well, just find a seat, or just seat, sit anywhere. Well, where are you seating, sir? Oh, let me sit with you. The Pharisees chose the places of honor, and they scrambled to get into those best seats. And Jesus observed that, and when he saw that is when he told this parable. Uh, you would think he's just teaching them exactly about what happened, but he turns it into a parable when in verse 8 he says, uh, uh, when you're invited to a wedding feast. So this is not a wedding feast, and so um, uh, he's, he's turned it into a parable by putting it in that context. Now, I want to dig a little deeper and ask, why is it that they were like this? Why did they scramble for the best seats? Why do we? Inquiring minds want to know, don't we? Well, let me give you three possible reasons, and if the shoe fits for you, you wear it as well, okay? Uh, the first one would be pride. That's, I think, the obvious one if you're talking about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a proud people. They were proud of their morality. They were proud of their positions in Jewish society. Uh, they were the conservative good guys. They believed the Old Testament scriptures. They selectively obeyed the Old Testament scriptures in a rigid way, and they were puffed up by that. And so it could just be garden variety pride that was driving the scrambling for the best seats. 
Secondly, I think it was also a, a little bit of dose of selfish ambition involved there. I mean, if you're scrambling for the best seat, you're saying to the guy that's next to you in the scramble, I don't want you to get the best seat, right? It's pretty easy to see. Uh, James said in his letter, James 3, verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Even dining at a friend's house, there will be disorder and every evil practice. Even getting seated for dinner. Digging a little more deeply, I think a third cause, I said pride, selfish ambition, a third cause could be insecurity. I've spoken about this in a previous uh, message, and I will again because I think it drives all of us more than we want to realize, right? Uh, these people want to be known. They want to be somebody. And if they can get a better seat near the host, in the eyes of man, they will be esteemed, and their fragile egos will be momentarily helped. I mean, did you notice the wording down... Um, then you will be, uh, down in verse 10, then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. You see, that's the, that's the deal here. They want to be honored in the eyes of mankind. Why? Well, they're insecure. Adam and Eve became insecure when they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And we as their offspring are insecure people too. That's why those junior high and high school students students want to sit at the right table with the right people or be at the right place in the line as they go to the cafeteria or the auditorium. College students do the same as well as adults. So a couple of lessons at this point. First it is Jesus was a great teacher. He taught formally. He went into the synagogues. He taught in the temple. But he taught informally. The Sermon on the Mount was up on a mountain outdoors, kind of on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee is the traditional place. Uh, he taught along the way. He's going into Jericho and Zacchaeus, you must come down. I'll, I'm going to have dinner at your house today. He, he taught uh, on the sides of the roads. He taught uh, on the mountains. He taught here in a Pharisee's house. There are many more in ministry opportunities, brothers and sisters, than some of us can see. And we need to have the Holy Spirit open our eyes to those opportunities and give us the boldness to take them. And secondly, I want you to see a lesson here that Jesus dined with the opposition. He knew these people hated him. He knew that they were opposed to him. Uh, in one sense, I think he knew that they would one day kill him. Uh, would you have gone to that dinner knowing that there were people there that hated you? Um, they want to catch him in some teaching or bad practice. As it was read this morning, he didn't wash his hands, and they were just like, are you kidding? That's awful. But he went, and he showed love and compassion, and the love and compassion that teaches the truth in the face of opposition. And the question we should ask ourselves is, do we, do we go to those that oppose us? who hate us, and try to influence them for Christ. It's a great role model here. Secondly, uh, that's the, the setting and a little bit of what's going on. Then in verses 8 to 10, there's some specific instructions, and, and you might call it table etiquette and life lessons, but it's more than table etiquette, and it's more than life lessons, I think. 
He tells them what to, not to do. And he says, do not sit down. Do not sit down in a place of honor. Don't go to the head of the table. Don't go to the seat next to the host. Why not? And, he, and, and the reason is pretty obvious. There's the possibility of shame. Uh, he mentions the word shame in verse 9. Uh, you will be shamed if somebody more distinguished than you comes in and your host says, uh, give up your seat for this person uh, that's more important than you are. And he might move that other person up and move you down. And you would have mega egg on your face. Uh, have you seen that happen maybe in a, on an airplane? Somebody got on the airplane and they, they took a seat right up near the door uh, because, you know, they thought they had to get off better, sooner than everybody else. And uh, at some point along, the, the flight attendant comes because somebody's complained and, and they're, they're, they're told, you're in the wrong seat. And, and they have to move. And everybody's thinking, you know, what a jerk, you know, trying to get somebody else's seat. That's the kind of thing that he's saying, don't do that. Don't go, don't go to the high seat. Don't go to the best seat. He says in verse 10, sit in the lowest place so that the host may come and move you higher past other people and you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. I had um, Colleen read uh, 2 Samuel uh, about Mephibosheth, uh, the last remaining uh, child of um, grief. Saul, no, David's um, friend, Jonathan. And um, Mephibosheth was lame in his feet. And he had no right to the king's table. Lame in both feet. And he lived where? In Lodabar, no pasture. It was a place of no glory. I mean, to go from Lodabar to the king's table was an, an, an astonishing thing, right? Because he says, look, don't go to the highest seats. You might be moved down. Go to the lowest seats. You might be moved up. And indeed, the Proverbs say that as well. In Proverbs uh, 25, uh, Psalms, Proverbs 25, if I can get to it, 25 verses uh, 6 and 7. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. And so he said, look, take the low place. And, and that alludes to, I think, what will be the case at the eternal banquet at the end of this age, believers will sit at that table by the gracious invitation of, of the host. I mean, why, do we, why are we able to come to this table? Is it because you're good? Because you deserve it? Because you've got a right to it? Or is it just the gracious invitation of the host who says, come, sit at my table. I want you to sit at my table with me. I want you to be near me. I want to take care of you. I want to feed you. Now, let me ask a few questions of the text and, and try to answer them in a way that I hope will be instructive for us. Is Jesus just teaching a non-obvious way to social climb? You know, is he saying, well, look, here's a better strategy than going for the high seats. Go for the low seats. Um, I don't think that's what it is at all, though there may be some wisdom in what he says. Uh, it's, it's more than that. It's more than false humility. He's teaching this parable. 
There's a spiritual meaning here. And, and he's trying to humble these proud Pharisees, and he's trying to humble us. He's seeking to teach them about how to banquet with God at his table in heaven. Look at verse 15. We didn't read that. We didn't read that far. But in verse 15, we're told about the, the, the theme comes up, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I think that's true. It is blessed to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. But how will I do that? How can I get to that table? How can I get to the kingdom of God? How can I be included in that number? A um, couple of quotes. Just, just, as a wet, just as at a wedding feast, the occupying of seats of honor does not depend on a person's self-assertive attitude, but on the discretion of the host, so also a place of honor in the kingdom of God does not depend on self-assertiveness or on one's opinion of himself, but on the grace of the living God. Another quote, those least expected to share in the blessings of the kingdom of God will in fact share in them, while those most expected to be participants may very well be among those who are excluded. And we will see as we work on through Luke 14 that there are some excluded. And it's, I came unto my own, and my own received me not. That's going to be the story we'll get in another sermon or two. Now, thirdly, let's look at the general principle that Jesus is teaching here, and it's in the last verse, four, uh, verse 11. It's the, the nugget of truth that we should extract and apply and live by, and it's very similar to what we find, for instance, in Ezekiel 21, exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. And so Jesus says, look, as a result of this parable he's told, as a result of seeing them scramble for seats in this Pharisee's house, he says, look, everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's look at those two halves of that. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. Uh, in a few chapters, Jesus will tell about the Pharisee and the tax collector in another parable um, uh, and it's a parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And the Pharisee in that parable said, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, and I uh, thank you that I do all these good things. And, and the clear implication in that passage is that he thought that God should like him and accept him because he was such a good guy. But the tax collector just would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and he just beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the text very clearly says, this one, the humble man, went down to his house justified and not the Pharisee. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. In Daniel chapter 4, uh, Daniel chapter 4, there's this story about Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, at verse 28... All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? When you hear something like that, get out of the way because when the lightning strike comes, you don't want to get hit by it, Okay. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. 
O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will." Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. He who exalts himself will be humbled. Uh, As a teenager, I was a junior tennis player. I played in some tournaments in other cities and was ranked uh, in the state I lived in. And it was a source of pride for me because I was an insecure young kid like so many others. And then in my first year of college, I blew out my knee, one of my knees. And uh, tennis was gone. If I was going to get propped up by something, it was going to have to be something else than tennis because I could never play the same way after I blew out my knee. Some of you could tell stories like that, couldn't you? You could tell things that used to be sources of pride for you, and God just took them away. God just took them away. Uh, God humbled you and made you fit for Him and for the kingdom. I used to ask when I would interview people uh, for positions on the staff of the church that I pastored, uh, have you ever known disappointment? Have you ever known humbling? Have you ever known times that were really tough, times you had to work through? I remember telling, uh, asking that of a big guy, probably twice as big as I am. He played tackle at a local college. And uh, yeah, he said, I, I know that. He said, I injured my shoulder. I was supposed to start my senior year. I didn't get to start. Great staff guy. Great staff guy. I asked another guy that question one time, and he said, well, you know, I've lived a pretty charmed life. Everything went kind of well for me. The teachers liked me. The coaches liked me. I've never really known anything like that. Made a terrible staff guy. Terrible staff guy. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Go back and read that 2 Samuel 9 about Mephibosheth when he was called into the king's presence. He was humble. He was humble. Jesus Christ, he was humble. Not here, but the recounting of his life by Paul in Philippians 2. He did not, though he was in the form of God, morphe theou, though he was God in the flesh, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of God the Father. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. It applies to us too. 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God in your approach to God. You know the words of the hymn, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. All my righteous deeds, O God, are filthy rags. That's the way to approach God. I was talking to an elder in a church in southern Kentucky where I was a supply pastor when I was in graduate school, and I, I said to him one time, I said, you know, the big problem is not getting people saved. I said, the big problem is getting people lost. It's getting people humbled. It's getting people in a position they know that they desperately need Jesus Christ. He told me a decade later, he said, I, when you told me that, Alan, I thought you were crazy. He said, now I think you were right. Because so many people can never come to this point of humility before God as they approach God. As they come to serve God. I mean, when, when you're asked to do something around the church, uh, over and over and over, I've been uh, ordained for 40-something years now, and uh, people always say, um, train me, train me to do X, train me to teach Sunday school, train me to do evangelism, train me to do this. And what they mean in most cases is this, make me where I feel comfortable doing it. And I tell people I can't do that for you. I'm 72 years old and I've been at this a long time and I still, it's kind of like pregame jitters before I preach. I can't make you comfortable. If you will humble yourself and say to God, God, I'll try. Will you show up and help? He'll show up and help. If you think, boy, I can do this, you're going to fall flat on your face. It'll happen. I've seen it many times. James 4, humble yourselves therefore before the Lord and he will exalt you. You know, this is not a popular teaching and it's not a prevalent teaching. I mean, you never see it on the masthead of a church. Come to our church, we'll teach you how to humble yourself. You don't see that, right? No church is going to put that on their tagline. We'll train you in humbling yourself. But friends, if I read the Bible right, and I think I do, it's necessary. Because this teaches us how to come to the Lord's table. It teaches us how to approach the Lamb's wedding banquet. It teaches us how to avoid real shame and obtain true and lasting honor. The religious poet George Herbert said, Humble we must be if to heaven we go. High is the roof there, but the gate is low. Humble we must be if to heaven we go. High is the roof there, but the gate, the gate of entry, is low. How can a person walk with Jesus? How can a person be seated with Jesus? How can a person eat a meal with Jesus at his table in paradise? Well, you admit you're not worthy, that you don't deserve to, deserve to be there. And then he will give you a place of honor. He will bring you to the table as David brought Mephibosheth, and he will feed you at his table forever and ever, both in this life and the life to come. If you will go to the low place on the table, the lowest place, that's where you'll find Jesus, friend. You say, I want to sit with Jesus. You can't sit with Jesus unless you go to the low place. There you can sit with him. There you can sup with him. If you go to the head of the table, you will be very far from Jesus. There you can only eat with the proud Pharisees of this life. 
And in the life to come, you will eat totally alone if you eat at all. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. If you will humble yourself to the point of saying, Jesus, I have nothing to offer you, but I come to you and I believe in you and trust you, he will embrace you and he will feed you forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord our God, we ask your forgiveness of our pride, of our um, selfish ambition, of our insecurities and how we've tried to deal with our insecurities by things that cannot make us secure and have neglected you in the process. Forgive us of all of that. Help us to be willing to humble ourselves under your mighty hand that you might exalt us at the proper time. Lord, help us to see that when you cleanse the lepers, we're the lepers. That when you said to Zacchaeus, I must eat in your house today, we're Zacchaeus. That when you said, uh, when the Pharisee and the tax collector stories told, Lord, we're the tax collectors. We're the ones who are undone. But you had it all together. And you give that all togetherness to those who trust in you. Lord, help us to take this to heart. Let our lives 